At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Great last drive. Tyler Vaughn made a couple of great plays. Um, you know, back shoulder there. He, he's, he's got, we saw it in the last game. He walked off with the touchdown. So he does a great job with his ball in the hands. He breaks tackles. He's slippery. But I was happy with the way we pushed the ball on the field there. Now, offense did a good job of communication to win the game. Mason Rudolph, after a second straight solid game for him and the other quarterbacks, a second straight game-ending drive by the offense, a second straight win for the Steelers in the preseason, both on the field and for me betting on them. Now, speaking of bets, how frequently can I bet on the over when it comes to sacks allowed by the Steelers' offensive line? Yikes. I am Tim Benz. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. It's brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com kick off the football season with bet rivers online sportsbook all season long bet rivers is your go-to sportsbook for all football related content check out betrivers.com or download the bet rivers app for the latest odds unique promotions player props and more every week bet rivers has unique football specials to help you win big cheer on your favorite teams and back your favorite players with bet rivers it's a whole new game Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Monday night football tonight. Preseason football. Oh boy, this is a matchup. Falcons minus 2.5 or 143 on the money line at the Jets. Meanwhile, the Jets are plus 118 on the money line. The over-under is 38.5 in this one. Falcons money line getting 76% of the money, 64% of the tickets. Falcons on the spread, 31% of the money, 51% of the tickets. 
over 36% of the money, 54% of the bets. I'll take the Falcons at minus two and a half and give me the under as well. So much for that overtrend in the NFL preseason that we saw in week one, huh? It evened up a lot more. In fact, eight games went over 40 points, seven stayed under. So that magic threshold between like 38 and 40 where we saw that tipping point that comes back into play again. Boy, the Steelers sure were evidence of that. They went from a 32-25 game to a 16-15 game that they won over Jacksonville after beating the Seahawks the week before. I said take the Steelers, but I also went with the over of 38.5, so I split there. More on them to come later on here in the show. Let's mix in some baseball. Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook inviting you to add some variety to your baseball bets with new same-game parlays. Every game this baseball season, you can combine game bets and player props to create your perfect Bet Rivers combination. Whether you're looking to increase your payouts on favorites or make your own long shot, you can add a little extra spice to your game with same-game parlays at Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. Download the Bet Rivers Sportsbook app and make your baseball same-game parlays today. The same-game parlays that I encourage you to make over the weekend were Padres winning over the Nats plus homers from Soto and or Josh Bell against their former team. If you did that Saturday and Sunday, you won both with Bell and Soto on Saturday, and you won again with Bell on Sunday, but you lost Thursday and Friday. That's okay. The back half of the weekend made it up for you. You lost because they didn't homer, and the Nationals won. Man alive, how many times do we have to see these minus 350, minus 380, minus 400 baseball bets before we learn, huh? It was minus 400 on the Padres on Thursday, and they lost. Those bets have been poison all year long. Like, remember the huge money that came in on the Blue Jays when the Royals went north of the border without their players? And what was the other one? Oh, Verlander, like minus 385 against the Rangers. That one lost. The bigger they get the more likely they are to blow up your parlays or your bank account if you play them straight. So don't get suckered in. Um, how about the Nats getting a split there in that series? How about the Yankees finally winning? Yankees won for just the third time in their last 12 games on Sunday. They beat the Blue Jays 4-2, to two, so the game stayed under as well. The Yankees getting back into that world of unders. Seven runs or less the last three games after two games where the run total got up to 11 or 15. Things got heated in the fifth inning. That's when Aaron Judge got hit by a pitch from Toronto starter Alec Manoa. The pitch didn't appear intentional, especially based on the reaction from Manoa, but the two exchanged a glance. Judge barked out some words as he made his way to first base. That's when former Pirate Garrett Cole came onto the field acting like he wanted to fight Manoa. The benches started to empty. Cole was restrained by Yankees coaches and players, and the situation died down. After the game, Manoa insisted he wasn't trying to hit Judge. Then he called out Cole for acting like a fake tough guy. I've been struggling with my sinker for about five, six starts now. And, um, I made a pitch and uh, obviously hit Judge. And obviously uh, I looked at him and I said, man, you know, I'm not trying to do that. And I think he understood that. And um, I think if Garrett wants to do something, he can walk past the Audi side next up. Walk past the Audi logo is one of my favorite all-time blasts. That's priceless. So true, too. If you want to fight, go fight. Don't peacock your way out there and make it look like some 65-year-old pitching coach is the one holding you back. I mean, give me a break. As for Cole, he simply said that he was having a short fuse kind of day 
and didn't like the fact that the Yankees hitters have been dusted quite a bit lately. The loss dropped Toronto eight games back of the Yankees in the American League East. Jays tied with Tampa for second place. Tonight, it's the Mets at the Yankees, and Scherzer is pitching against Domingo Herman. So the Yankees are plus 135 dogs at home. That sounds so sweet. But I can't go with them. Can you against Scherzer and the Mets? They're minus 155 favorites. The total is 7.5. I'd lean under, and I'd take the Mets if it's one you really want to play. But, wow, the Yankees plus 135 at home. Who would have thought we'd see that before the All-Star break against anyone, even Scherzer and the Mets? Pirates are plus 175 home underdogs in their game tonight against the Braves. I'm a bit surprised it isn't more. I get it. Uh, Contreras and Odorizzi both have records around 500. Both are just over four with the ERA, so maybe this is a close one. I'll go with the Braves, though, and maybe take the under. Nine and a half feels a little high. So does the line of minus 200 for the Braves. Maybe take Atlanta on the run line of uh, one and a half minus 121. That feels a little safer to me. This does kind of feel like a 5-3, 5-2, 4-2 kind of Braves win. It'll be interesting to watch the Braves tonight as the Mets are in the Bronx. New York is four games in front of the Braves for first in the NL East. I like the Dodgers tonight on the run line, too. It's minus 118. Urias is pitching against the Brewers, or perhaps parlay them with the Rays against the Angels. Spriggs is pitching. Um, That parlay is minus 103 on the payout. So almost the same odds there between those two options. Now back to the Steelers after their... 32-25 victory in the first preseason game against Seattle. Mike Tomlin identified three specific areas of improvement that he wanted to see in Game 2. They were sharper two-minute execution on both sides of the ball, improved pass protection, and better run defense. So was it mission accomplished for the Steelers in that 16-15 win over Jacksonville on Saturday? We can assess right now. We'll start with two-minute execution, and there the answer is absolutely The Steelers' defense allowed a 10-yard pass just after the two-minute warning in the second quarter, but then the unit got the ball back on downs after Robert Spillane, Terrell Edmonds, and Demonte Casey all made defensive plays to limit short gains on passes and a scramble by Trevor Lawrence. As a result, the Steelers got the ball in their own 37-yard line. Kenny Pickett marched the squad down the field for a touchdown on five plays in 42 seconds. Among the throws Pickett made... An 18-yard connection with Deontay Johnson, completions of 10 and 24 yards to Pat Fryermuth, and an 11-yard touchdown pass to Benny Snell. Pickett also had a touchdown to Johnson nullified when a James Daniels holding penalty countered a Jacksonville offsides. Pickett also had a touchdown nullified when a Dan Moore holding penalty countered a Jacksonville offsides, so the penalty's offset, but Pickett hit Snell for the score on the next snap. In the second half... Mason Rudolph threw a touchdown pass to Tyler Snead on the first snap after the two-minute warning gave the Steelers a 16-15 lead. Rudolph completed three passes to Tyler Vaughns prior to that score. So Mason Rudolph, again, as we heard at the top of the show, doing a good job getting the team into the end zone as he did in the first game on the touchdown pass to George Pickens against Seattle. On the ensuing Jacksonville drive, the Steelers' reserve defenders swapped out a lot of yards for time forcing a 57-yard field goal that went well right to end the game. Tomlin wrapped up the two-minute performances here. I I just think largely as a collective, 
Um, we put time into two-minute football. You guys have been at our training camp practices. You know how much we devote to that. And I think it paid dividends in stadium. Uh, not only at the end of the half, but also at the end of the game. We were in two-minute there when we went down the field with, with Rudolph and, and, and Vaughn. Yeah, so Tomlin happy that the team answered his call with the two-minute performances there. Uh, now, how about the second point, though, which was pass protection? Absolutely not. They didn't answer the call on this one. It was abysmal. Mitch Trubisky started at quarterback and somehow managed to survive two drives, only being sacked once. He needed a few Houdini-esque escapes to make that happen, though. Uh, this was Tomlin's assessment of Trubisky. He says it's hard to have one because, well, of the offensive line. I thought Mitch played well. I thought he created and extended some things when there wasn't much there. Uh, but we got to do a better job of protecting him and, and, and having some semblance of a run game if you want a fair evaluation. And I'm just being bluntly honest. Pickett stood in the face of pressure to deliver some of his throws, and Rudolph was tagged with a safety when he threw the ball away under pressure in the end zone for an intentional grounding penalty. Kendrick Green got pushed back into the pocket on a few occasions. Daniels had a holding call like Moore did. Moore was victimized in the sack and allowed another pressure earlier in the first quarter. Kendrick Green, uh, not only did he get pushed back, he just missed a couple of blocks altogether. The offensive line seemed to get better as the game moved along while the rest of the team did with it. Some play-action attempts, rollouts, quicker passes, those helped too. In the end, the box score only showed one sack by Jacksonville, but the game film will look a lot more impressive for their defensive front and a lot less impressive for the Steelers' offensive line. Now, the last point was rush defense. It was better. Granted, after allowing 6.1 yards per carry against the Seahawks, that wasn't a very high bar, but it was better. The Jags only averaged 3.2 yards on 30 carries. Also, 30 of Jacksonville's 97 yards were picked up on scrambles and runs by Lawrence and C.J. Beathard, at quarterback. Cam Hayward, Alex Highsmith, those are the only primary players in the front seven depth chart that didn't play. T.J. Watt did. Larry Ogunjobi, Miles Jack, Terrell Edmonds, they all made noteworthy tackles in the first two levels of the defense. Edmonds was particularly active throughout the first half, and that's going to be interesting to watch. We'll talk about that some with Mark Madden in the Madden Monday podcast coming up next. So if you're tracking the two-minute possessions, it looks like that'll just be a week-to-week thing. Good, bad, good, bad, decent split, first half, second half. But the run defense, the pass protection questions were present all year in 2021 and very well could be again in 2022. There are at least seemingly some signs of hope and improvement, you know, better depth, more quality personnel along the defensive front to help stop the run, especially once the rest of the starters suit up for the regular season. The pass blocking issues from the offensive line, though, have been present so far throughout training camp and the first two preseason games from the people who are slated to be the starters in September. So it's good to know Trubisky and Pickett are as advertised when it comes to their ability to throw on the run and escape pressure because it sure looks like we're going to have to see a lot of that. All right, uh, when we come back in 30 seconds, Madden Monday, Mark Madden from 105.9 The X and Trib Live next here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Kickoff football season with Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. All season long, Bet Rivers is your go-to sportsbook for all football-related content. Check out BetRivers.com or download the Bet Rivers app for the latest odds, unique promotions, player props, and more. Every week, Bet Rivers has unique football specials to help you win big. Cheer on your favorite teams 
or back your favorite players with Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Madden Monday brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Tim Benz and Mark Madden from 105.9 The X. That's where you can catch Mark Monday through Friday, 3 until 6. Read them four times a week at Trib Live. You can also catch me and the podcast at Breakfast with Benz. Mark, I have one regret about the Steelers-Jacksonville Jaguars preseason game, and that is Dennis Eckersley wasn't on the call for the Jaguars on their preseason game network because I wonder what he would have come up with to describe the Steelers' offensive line if he got hodgepodge of nothingness out of his mouth to describe the Pirates. I can't believe how bad the Steelers' offensive line has looked in the two preseason games. And by bad, I mean it looks like it might be worse than last year. You look at the holdovers. Dan Moore Jr. is a turnstile. He was pretty good last year as a rookie, as a fourth-round pick. Maybe he just operated on adrenaline because now he just looks like a fourth-round pick because the adrenaline is, is dissipated. Uh, Daniels was supposed to be this godsend. He looks terrible. Kendrick Green looks like a bad guard instead of a bad center. I'm not noticing Mason Cole or Chooks very much, which I guess is the best we can hope for uh, from any individual on that offensive line. But everybody's talking about Pickett but they're ignoring the problems of this team and they are great and they are many. I think the answers are beyond go out and get somebody. I don't think they can do that to any great degree right now. I think the answers on the bench, well, if they were answers on the bench, they'd be starting right now. So I don't think the in, the answers to fixing the offensive line are internal or external. I think the answer is, Mark, you do what they did a little bit more as that game rolled along last night, which was move the pocket, get the QBs and rollout situations, try to slow down the rush with play action. You scheme around it just in a different way than how you schemed around it the last two years with Ben, which was get rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds. Yeah, but what about running the ball? They only rushed for 24 yards against Jacksonville, and 11 of those came on a wide receiver carry. This just looks like a bad offense trickling down from the bad offensive line, and even though we're all canonizing Pickett in that two-minute drill, they barely scored enough points to beat a real bad football team, and that's all they played, we shouldn't forget, in the two exhibition games so far, are bad football teams, the Steelers' 2-0 preseason record notwithstanding. And they get the Lions next. So, yeah, it looks like a Jamie Dixon schedule to the preseason right now. Yeah, but not when the regular season begins. Yeah, the regular season starts off tough. Six games against really good competition, five of them anyway. The Jets sort of sandwiched in there, and the Patriots aren't great, but hey, it's Belichick in week two, and I think whether it's Trubisky or Kenny Pickett, it's going to be tough to see a Belichick defense in week two. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with quarterback. For the first time, I'm feeling like they might uh, go to Pickett as the starter uh, sooner, not later. Uh, I looked this up, Tim, back in 1995. Uh, that was the year after uh, Neil O'Donnell. Excuse me, 1996. Right, yeah. Neil O'Donnell got to the Steelers to the Super Bowl in 1995. Uh, you know, January 96 was when the game was played. And then the next year, Jim Miller, quote, unquote, won the job at training camp, and he got pulled after exactly one half. Right, exactly. Yeah, and then Tom Zach went in. 
Yeah, and Tomzak played the rest of the season. Now, this is a different circumstance because Tomzak was the safe veteran and Kenny Pickett's the hotshot rookie. But it wouldn't shock me if something similar to that happened. Maybe not that dramatic. Maybe not halftime at the first game, but maybe in the first month. I think, Mark, despite the fact that Pickett's looked so good in these first two preseason games, what the offensive line has done in front of him and Trubisky probably convinces them even more that they don't want to take their first-round pick and expose them in the toughest part of their schedule so early in the schedule with that offensive line failing to coalesce. Part of me thinks that's true, and it definitely makes sense. But that's not how they operate. The most important thing to do for them is to win the next game. You know that. They never look long-term. Maybe they finally drafted a quarterback and are in a situation that you just described where they have to think long-term, but that would be a departure from what they almost always have otherwise done. One thing that's going for Mitch Trubisky is he's already shown an ability to make something out of nothing a lot, which he's done with that offensive line. He had a couple of Houdini-esque escapes in that game against the Jags. Well, I think Trubisky's actually looked pretty good. I think Mason Rudolph's looked pretty good, too. The quarterback rating for, for what it's worth in the preseason for all three quarterbacks is up over 100 they've all played pretty well Rudolph was real good in the second half against Jacksonville I also think that unless somebody comes along and blows them away with an offer the lack of protection that Pickett and Trubisky are getting will make them kind of to your point Mark about only worrying about the next week in front of them make them even more inclined to hold on to Rudolph well, I think that's for the short term and for the long term because I would bet if there's such a prop bet, I would uh, take a bet that uh, three quarterbacks start games for the Steelers this year because I think they're in so much danger because of that offensive line. All you get for Rudolph anyway, tops would be like the fifth round pick, right? So I, I just don't see the point of trading him. Um, you knock like what four million off the cap, but they don't you know need that four million. They're not going to go get anybody with that four million. If they drop it from the cap and don't have to pay Rudolph's salary. You know why people want Rudolph traded, don't you? Because it clears the path for Pickett. That's why all the Pickett fanboys and all the marks out there want Rudolph traded. So it clears the path for Pickett. Hey, Rudolph can be there. And Tomlin can clear the path for Pickett. It's like I love when people say, well, if Rudolph's the backup, then Pickett's not going to get enough snaps. Why not? You can give him snaps. You can do whatever you want. I've suggested, I just wrote in the Trib, I would make Rudolph the number two quarterback on game days and Pickett the number two quarterback in terms of reps at practice, at least initially, until you feel Pickett can transition to being the number two quarterback, period. The whole who do you dress on game day thing is a different argument in terms of what they may want to do big picture if Trubisky were to get hurt. Like, you know, you could put Rudolph in to finish off a game and not feel terrible about how the outcome will come as a result of that. In fact, one of his better games, I thought, when he came on the scene in 2019 was that first game against the Seahawks. You know, if the receivers didn't drop so many balls and literally have balls bounce off their hands like Dante Moncrief into the hands of defensive backs, we would have had a better first impression of Mason Rudolph in that game, perhaps. So I get what you're saying there. I would only say, Mark, I think this it, the play of the offensive line underscores even more the need for mobility and uh, moving the pocket by design in the Canada offense even more. And I think Pickett is more adept at that than Rudolph. 
Yeah, in fact, I might be tempted to just say, okay, listen, Rudolph is the number two quarterback on game day, and if Trubisky gets hurt, I feel okay having Rudolph finish the game, like you just said. But if Trubisky would get hurt long term, then I might start picking the next week. They need to not look at what they want the offensive line to be and who they expect to be the best player. And maybe look a bit closer to who the best offensive linemen are, for example, you keep hearing LeGlue is, is playing well when he gets in there, right? Yeah, so let him play then if these other guards yeah, are no good. play the guy who's playing well if, if these other Jamokes aren't doing very well. And that applies on defense, too. Um, you know, clearly, Devin Bush and Spillane both stink. So there are other alternatives in inside linebacker, correct? Why not explore those? One of those other options might be having Terrell Edmonds be a de facto inside linebacker. Oh, yeah, but I hate that, Tim. I hate that because then uh, then you make you make Mickey into just a tackler. You make him into just a, a, another linebacker as opposed to a safety who roams a mix. Well, I, I don't know about that, Mark, because you have, I think, something pretty good in KZ, and I think KZ can take on the Edmonds role if Edmonds has to play the linebacker role. No, no, but I'm talking about if you have if you have three safeties on the field and the inside backers stink, Minka has to cheat up. He has to be a tackler. That's what happened last year. The running backs got to the second and third levels with such impunity last year, it turned Minka into just a tackler. Oh, no, I, I get your premise, but my point is I think that's offset by what KZ brings. If he's the third safety, Minka could be Minka. Edmonds can be the second linebacker if you're going to play a mock version of a nickel, if your dime is essentially going to be a nickel, and then KZ can be the guy who plays in between and offers the run support while also playing a center role and then, you know, safety role, and then you have you have make a roam the back, the defensive back third. I know that's what you're suggesting in theory. I bet it would still work out the way I say in, in execution. And what about Mark Robinson, a linebacker? Kabali from the Athletics been touting him to get a shot. What's wrong with that? Athletically, I think he's way ahead of the curve. Instinctively, I think he's ahead of the curve, having made the position switch from running back. Just the flat-out knowledge of what he's doing on a play-to-play basis, from what I understand, still has a long way to go. Boy, Bush doesn't seem to care, does he? Would you consider cutting him? No, because you're thin there already. Why make yourself even more thin? It's not like he's costing you all that much against the cap. You know what I would do? I would bench him for the entire first game. I mean, not play him even any snaps. And I would then sit him down to come to Jesus and say, look, where do you want your career to go? Because we can make or break you. You say, I'm going to be in the league next year. Are you sure about that? Then, then again, Tim, the come to Jesus meeting, that concept is, is dead in football in general and especially with the Steelers. Because, you know, if Devin Bush said I'm unhappy, that'd probably trade him to a team that would use him better. I would love to know how seriously they considered the Roquan Smith thing. It probably wasn't very much, but now you're hearing Smith say, I'm just going to play it out in Chicago and then go to free agency if they don't tag me. So it sounds like that hope is dead. Um, That's a trade they should have considered. I think they could have made it work with the cap. I think they could have made it work in terms of who they would have dealt. I disagree. I think think you would have had to trade somebody like Claypool and take away from one of the few strengths you have on the team. And if that defense can't be good with all the money you've spent on it already, then shame on the guys on that side of the ball that are making all that money. Oh, that's that's fair. I wasn't wild about moving Claypool either. I particularly disagreed 
with the pro football talk advancement from Mike Florio, which was that he might be dealt by the trade deadline. Well, I mean, if it was from in a deal for Roquan Smith, that's one thing. But just dealing for the sake of dealing them, why? They're not as deep at wide receiver as people think they are just because Pickens has been good so far. Oh, no. And a lot of the optimism we've seen surrounding training camp is just totally manufactured. This team isn't anywhere near a playoff team. They're just not very good, Tim. There's so many holes. It, it just The idea that this team can contend for a playoff berth and even finish 500. Like, you know what's going to happen, though? When we get you know close to the uh, week one game against the Bengals, everybody in the local media is going to say, well, nine or ten wins, because that sounds good and it keeps – gives people hope. They're not a 9 or 10 win team. They're a 7 or 8 win team and they're closer to 6 than they are to 9. I'm going with that 8. Sounds like a, that sounds like a Jimi Hendrix song. <laughs> I'm going with 8. Uh, I agree with that premise. One thing that I'm guarding against in that context, well, I mean, they'll see Deshaun Watson in the second game, so it's not like they're going to automatically sweep the Browns. Were you surprised as I was, Mark, that the odds didn't shift all that much from the bookmakers when we found out that Watson's suspension was jumping from 6 to 11. Tim, they could easily lose to the Browns week three with Brissett at quarterback. Or with Josh Dobbs at quarterback, the way he's playing in the preseason. The Browns have a much better team than the Steelers. The quarterback situation aside. And who's to say Brissett has this huge advantage over Trubisky? Uh, He might. I mean, I I don't think that Trubisky is a lock to be a better quarterback. Excuse me, who's to say Trubisky has this huge advantage over Brissett? Because, like, you know, take away quarterback, the Browns are far superior. And, you know, the Browns might be okay in that matchup at quarterback week three even. What have you taken away, or what do you make of this weird situation with Brady in Tampa? I don't know. Do we know where he is yet? Is he at the Masked Singer? (laughs) I think when we're talking about the Masked Singer thing with him, that's about him being a judge and not a contestant. Allegedly, that's why it's taking so long for people who believe that theory. But why would he leave camp to do the mass Singer? He doesn't need the money. It's not this big career break unless he's like just this inexplicable aficionado of the show. We would know. If they were filming the mass Singer with him doing it, we would know. It's unlikely that that's the reason. Uh, I don't know what the reason is. It's just very atypical of Brady to put football in the back burner this much for whatever's going on. Yeah, but for him to do it one time is not something that should be held against him. Not by a long shot. No, especially if they did know to some degree that this was coming, as they keep saying. I just think Todd Bowles is making this worse because every time he's asked about it, he gives a different answer. Well, but how many times have excuses been made for dopes doing dopey stuff that detracted from football? Where you have the most decorated player in the game's history, takes 10 days off, he's going to be back. It's nobody's business, really. Unless it is something incredibly dumb, but I just don't believe that. The Cardinals and Ravens playing in the preseason, and because of that, a story came out from Jay Glazer where apparently the Ravens have offered Lamar Jackson more money than Kyler Murray received. Obviously, that's leaked from somebody on the Baltimore side. Do you believe it? Eh. I mean, look at all these stories that are leaking. Dana White said Tom Brady and Gronk were good, both going to go play for the Raiders. Yeah, you know yeah. Uh, what, what? Mike Tomlin supposedly broke up a fight for some kids and he invited the kids to practice. Did we ever find out that was true or not? No, but I think that also came from Glazer, didn't it? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I didn't see that. Was there a video of the kids fighting? 
I didn't see a video of the kids fighting. No, I did not. Because it, it, could, it couldn't have been worse than that fight in Jacksonville. Talk about a bunch of people. Those people in the stands, they couldn't fight. No, they couldn't fight. And I think that the it was such bad fighting, I'm wondering if the security guards showed up late because they technically didn't think it was a fight yet. Uh, that's how bad it was. And I heard it was one of three or four skirmishes that night. So, so much for Jacksonville's enthusiasm about Trevor Lawrence and the rebuilt Jaguars team. Yeah, if that would have if that would have been like students at a wrestling school, the instructor would have said, "Listen, you guys got to learn how to throw a punch." <laughs> hey, by the way, did you see how Roman Masick, the former Duquesne player, was officially announced as a new recruit for WWE this week? Well, may God have mercy on his soul. <laughs> they do put those guys through the ringer, don't they? Uh, I, you see. Tim, their philosophy changes so much. I mean, now Vince is gone and Hunter's in charge. I don't know. I don't know what the what the criteria. I mean, Shawn Michaels was was their head trainer, and I think he was more about a learn to do it guy than break your spirit first guy. Mm-hmm. There's just so many different ways to approach teaching that. I will say though that uh, WWE has the smart idea. Instead of going on getting these indie wrestlers who who do carny crapola in high school gyms. They're getting varsity athletes and teaching them from the ground up to do it the right way, to do it the, the big-time TV way, which is, is the way to do it, I believe. Yeah, and you know what, Mark? That's a good point because just about everybody who I saw was a recruit with Roman has a similar background. That goes for the women, too. They're all like D1 volleyball players or basketball players, soccer players. Uh, they've all got similar resumes. That's like uh, Ashley Flair, Charlotte. She was a Division One women's volleyball player. You mentioned broken spirits, so let's get to the Pirates. Um, I was watching the video of Ben Sherrington respond to what Dennis Eckersley had to say and laughing a little bit because, like, does Sherrington know in that soundbite that he gave that he made Eckersley's point for him when he said that I was surprised that he would go after major leaguers like that? That's Eckersley's point. They're not major leaguers. Yeah, everything Eckersley said was right. And the Pirates, whether it's Sherrington, Greg Brown, the players who talked, they all should have shut up. Because when you stink, you got to own it. When you're excrement, don't be surprised when somebody says you smell. When Brown and other people who have tried to defend the Pirates through this week have said things like, well, where does Eckersley get off criticizing the Pirates? He's got a last-place team that he's calling games for. Yeah, you know what? They were a last-place team in 14 and 15. When I lived there and I watched every Red Sox game every night, he would criticize the Red Sox more in one homestand than most broadcasters criticize their whole team in a season. So it's not like he doesn't do that. One had nothing to do with the other. Well, and not only that, but the Red Sox being in last place despite, what, the fifth or sixth highest payroll in baseball, like Ronnie said. Mm -hmm. You know, that sucks, and they've made mistakes, but they're trying to win. They try to win all the time. They don't always deliver. Nobody delivers all the time, but they won the ALCS just last year, and they won the World Series in 2018. So I understand Greg Brown's a paid shill, and I don't say that as an insult. He does it with more dignity than most, but, but he was full of crap. Finally, Mark, how was Rod Stewart? Uh, Rod Stewart in Atlantic City, uh, tremendous. Uh, one thing about Rod Stewart that I will relate to Robert Plant, too. At their ages, they understand what they still can do and what they can't do. And they play to their strengths. Whereas, I'm not knocking it, but like, you know, you saw Vince Neal with Motley. Mm-hmm. 
He's trying to be Vince Neil from like 1987. You know, he's doing the same thing, looking the same way, all that stuff, right? Uh, and maybe there's no other way to be Vince Neil because there's no other way to be Motley Crue. But you understand what I'm saying? I mean, like, you know, Rod sat down for four acoustic songs. He did some slower, bluesier stuff like uh, Edda James, I'd Rather Go Blind. Then at the end, he kind of got it back together and rocked out for Hot Legs and Stay With Me. But it, but it was really good. He totally gets it. Totally gets it. One thing I came across this week, I had heard a number of times since the stadium tour that the first band that was out there, even before Joan Jett, Classless Act, was really good. People kept telling me that. I looked them up. They're really good. They sound like they were a perfect fit, like a 1987 rock band that got transported to 2022 in California. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm going to check them out the next time they blow through town. Well, we certainly need more of those, Tim. How old are they, though? Uh, early 20s, I believe. Oh, good for them, because, like, that's the thing. What, what's your group's rival sons, right? Rival sons, and um, I also like Dirty, Dirty Honey. Honey. Yeah. And the Struts, too. I remember this. I saw the Struts open for Motley, like, yep. on their last farewell tour. Yeah. The problem with those groups is they're too old to be young. Yeah, I think these kids are pretty young based on their look and their sound. Like, the lead singer sometimes... In fact, uh, Vince Neil sings on the first song of their album that they released recently they must know the guys from motley a little bit and that's how they got connected but vince neal actually sampled a bit on the first song and he sounds a lot like vince in some songs and then he sounds like a young axel in other songs yeah well i'm not knocking vince neal either i i think he did his best mm-hmm. you know what i mean yes but i'm just saying that like rod stewart because of his songbook can be a little bit more malleable and robert plant has made himself you know and kind of go into the the folky country stuff that he's done for how many years now? I, I will tell you, though, I'm starting to get tired of Robert Plant. Not not his performance, and certainly not his body of work. But I just saw an interview where he made fun of Joe Elliott from Def Leppard because Joe Elliott goes through all these vocal histrionics warming up for a show, and Robert Plant's never felt the need to do that. And he didn't name Joe Elliott by name. He goes, "Yeah, there's this singer. He wants you to pour sugar on him or something like that." Like real dismissive. First off, Def Leppard, you know, had a, had a streak where they were the most popular band in the world for like four or five years, correct? Yeah. And, and second off, Robert Plant, you know, you know the dismissive things he said about Greta Van Fleet. Right. Where, you know, he says like, you know, I, 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 I heard that singer's voice and I know where he borrowed it from. Okay, so let me see if I have this straight. There's only one way to sing. It's like you and you don't want anybody else to sing that way either. Yeah, it's sort of like every interview he does is like Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good comparison. You know, and, and you know, if it, if, if it wasn't for Jimmy Page, Robert Plant would have been singing hippy-dippy stuff in Birmingham his whole life. <laughs> Mark Madden, you can listen to him Monday through Friday at 105.9 The X. Check him out at Trib Live four times a week. And you can also listen to him uh, with me on the Madden Benz Unfiltered Stream. Watch us on the Madden Benz Unfiltered Stream Monday at 9.30 on the Facebook stream for Trib Live.